protest, saw an opportunity uh, to like spin it as like the Communist Party of Cuba is like losing support. So like they ran their like media stories, they ran their apparatuses, they would send people there. And, like every time you see an American flag propping up in a uh, in a uh, country that's not America's protest, you can be assured that the state has like put agents on the ground and like told them like this is what you do you need to like make sure you get caught on camera because it's not snow mathers with my motherfuckers ass you want to know how to rhyme you better learn how to add it's mathematics <laughs> mighty most definitely <laughs> it's simple mathematics check it out <laughs> i'm the around science what are we talking about here Peace, peace, peace. It's Rakeem with Wise the Dome. Today I have my brother Jabir, who's been on the show yeah. before. He came before Dropping Jewels, man, and it was a very informative and educational episode. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm glad to have you back on the show. We got a lot of topics that, you know, I want to build about, especially, you know, with what's going on in the world. So I appreciate you for coming back through, fam. I appreciate you for having me here, big dog. Yeah, I'm a, I consider myself family of the show. Uh, I'm glad we was able to keep in touch this whole time, even though we weren't able to uh, timely get back on. You know, eventually we was able to make some shit happen. And, you know, uh, I'm real glad to be back with y'all, Bill, and uh, talk some real uh, shit from a Pan-African and Marxist perspective. No yeah. doubt, no doubt. And that's exactly what I wanted to kind of uh, jump into first is, um, you know, um, hold on, make sure I got uh, but yeah, that, that's what I kind of wanted to build about was, um, you know, with everything going on in the world, um, I wanted to, you know, get your opinion on some things from a, a, a socialist and Pan-African um, standpoint. Um, and before, you know, we go into that, uh, you know, th with uh, there's a lot of talk, especially, you know, um, with the whole thing that's going on with critical race theory in schools and how there are, uh, you know, they're that's been the hot topic, the buzzword, right? And um, I noticed one of the things they call it is Marxist, right? Um, which uh, has nothing to do with Marxism at, at all, but that's one of the ways they demonize, I guess, um, or, or it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, a buzzword to get the uh, white supremacist antennas up, you know what I'm saying? And exactly. So, and so that's what I kind of wanted to build about and, and like the connection between um, Pan-Africanism and socialist movements, um, you know, has always been a strong one in a lot of cases. Now, there are obviously some Pan-African, some Pan-Africans who don't um, adhere to socialism or Marxism, but there's also a lot that do. Um, if you can uh, just, you know, build about some of that history, you know, uh, because we often talk about uh, the Black Panther Party, but, and, you know, the first thing that a lot of people think are the guns and, or, or even the, um, uh, you know, the free breakfast program, but, you know, uh, the socialism aspect of their ideology is often overlooked. And so just, if you can, you know, um, just your thoughts on uh, the connection between um, black, liber black liberation movements and social and socialist movements. Hell yeah. yeah, that's good shit. Uh, so the first thing, uh, man, I really like that question. The first <laughs> thing to under <laughs> the, fir the first thing to understand is that 
applied correctly, uh, socialism is a conclusion that you arrive at from a scientific basis, understanding necessarily uh, what it is uh, to be done, understanding kind of like how we um, have come to be uh, marginalized and colonized as Africans in the first place, understanding that the scientific analysis, what we call dialectical materialism, leads you to understanding that this capitalistic construct uh, has imperialism and colonization that plays out as its logic. It's what leads to the situation that Africans have found themselves in uh, in the first place and uh, being able to get yourself out from that under that situation uh, is as Brother Fred Hampton said, um, requiring us to fight back against capitalism with socialism. He said that we're not gonna fight racism with racism, we're gonna fight it with solidarity, we're not gonna fight ca uh, capitalism with no black capitalism, we're gonna fight it with socialism. Because if you have to fundamentally change what the structure is, or otherwise you're just doing the same old horseshit by a different name. And so that's a very important thing uh, to look at. So what was happening um, with our ancestors, particularly looking at uh, people like Nkrumah and um, Garvey and people of those sort, they was looking at the scientific uh, situation and they were saying, okay, our people are marginalized. We've been dispossessed from our land. We have been cut off materially. Uh, we need to get back to our roots in order to be able to get back to like being in a materially advantageous situation. So uh, Brother Garvey, um, long may he rest, uh, he had this idea of quite literally materially building a, a apparatus that could get uh, Africa Africans uh, back to Africa. Uh, starting from here in the global north, but eventually Africans all across the diaspora being able to get back. That's what he was uh, calling for. And so he had his Black Star Line project and he had uh, all these different structures that he was trying to build that was all for the idea of getting us back. Uh, and what we ended up learning from that situation, because uh, he ended up, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Trying to, having to trust uh, white people to get him the right materials that he could use to, uh, to get us there, he bought the Black Star Line and the Black Star, and they already sabotaged that boat. When you when you read articles on like Wikipedia, mm -hmm. they try they try to make it sound like it uh it was he he just didn't know what he was doing. That the ship itself right. was just like you know his fault because he hadn't done his research. But like no, they like tried to get over on the man. It was sabotaged. They sabotage the man, you yeah. know, just like they sabotage everything else that has to do with Africa. I mean, we're talking about the same time period where the where, where stuff like Black Wall Street is being burned down to the right. ground and shit like that, you know, like the idea that it's more believable that he didn't know what he was doing instead of just saying like, no, y'all probably sabotage that shit. Like that would be a little bit ahistorical. That's a little bit hard for African to swallow. So he, uh, when you look at it from that standpoint, you start to be able to understand like, trying to work within a capitalistic uh, structure because uh, he was just, you know, um, the way to to go about it at that time in Garvey's mind was to be, was to do the whole more black business strategy, buy black stuff like that. And that's definitely part of the strategy, but because that was all that we were trying, we weren't fundamentally looking to do anything, uh, at least while we were here, different than, uh, than what the capitalists do. They ended up being able to like play that game against us and as such, it didn't work out in our favor. Uh, so we got to uh, then go forward with as scientific socialists understanding that Garvey had the right idea in mind in terms of Pan-African 
uh, solidarity all across the diaspora. But what we have to have is structures that are already alternatively existing, you know, wherever we find ourselves. And then we can use that to uh, liberate ourselves and eventually wage a war against these capitalists and get ourselves out. It ain't going to be enough to just flee wherever we are and go back to the motherland. We're going to have to have we're going to have to fight right from where we are because we're not going to be able to just leave peacefully. So um, that's what I would say to that. Uh, I got to go check on something real quick. Big Give me a second. And so, um, yeah, and so like, you know, with Garvey's movement, um, obviously it was, you know, sabotaged um, and a lot of different, from a lot of different angles. Um, And so would you say that that is an indicator that trying to beat them at their own system uh, will never work for us here in America? That's exactly the implication that we got from that. When you do the scientific analysis, you start to understand that there is a role for Black people developing the productive forces in our own communities and being able to like build Black business and Black dual power. There's a role for that to play in liberation, but it cannot be the end point for our people if we're going to truly get out from the colonial situation. That has to be a tactic in a grander scheme of eventually waging a war against these people, quite literally. Uh, and when I talk about war, I'm not talking about no philosophical battle of the <laughs> ideas. I'm talking about like, oh, niggas, you're going to have to get out in the streets and fight these motherfuckers eventually. Because, you know, you, these fascist motherfuckers, they are organizing, you right. know. And what Garvey showed us, it was the power of organizing and building black and buying black and these kind of things. It was very important. But as the end goal, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. And so we have to... Uh, we, do, we have to learn from Garvey and we have to like employ his strategy, but like what we're, what we're, what we're going toward has to necessarily be different. It has to be uh, socialism. And Garvey came to understand that and Nkrumah understood that and uh, my Secretary understood that and Cabral understood that and Brother Malcolm, had they not often would have came to understand that too, you know? And so it, uh, it's very much the case that we, we, we could fight that game, but there's 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 a reason that the socialists that came after comrade uh comrade garvey uh was saying that we can't do capitalism that it's not gonna work for us you know how many people how many people gotta assess it as a system that's anti-black before it's like yeah that's an anti-black system we don't need to be trying to integrate our people into that system well and what makes you say uh capitalism capitalism is anti-black because you know the people that would be detractors um, to what you said, they'll they'll say something. Uh, you know, look at uh, there's a few things they'll say. They'll say, "Hey, look at uh, you know Rihanna. She just made a billion dollars." Or they'll say, um, "Look at look at countries in West Africa that are you know quote unquote poor countries." I mean, we both know why. You know, they're not literally poor, but you know they've been exploited. Right. But um, let me let me let me answer that with a material analysis. Let me pull up a fancy product and okay. see <laughs> and, and, and see what's in it. Fancy fancy products. Uh, let's take a look. Fancy product ingredients. How about that? Uh, let's see. So we got we got 
mineral oil, we got lead, microbeads, sodium, laurel, sulfate, uh, polyacrylamide, uh, all these different things. And at some point, when you're looking at stuff like that, you got to ask yourself, okay, so this is what's going into what it is that I'm consuming. This is what is going into what I'm buying as a consumer. But what is the material process in place that necessarily gets that product into my hand? If those products are not native here, which a lot of the products that was in that uh, was in there that I was naming is not from here. Just like where, you know, my hometown, uh, I come from Akron. And Akron used to be known as the rubber capital of the world. But when I became a Marxist, I quickly found out, well, rubber's not, rubber's not a natural resource anywhere in America, let alone right. in, in my hometown. So how could it be the rubber capital of the world? So when you talk about trying to like look at Riri as like the, the, the ethical billionaire who didn't exploit nobody, it's like, well, your product ain't made in Africa for Africans only being sold to Africans. It's being literally... Their, their lands are being invaded for the stuff that went into those products. Other parts of the global south are being invaded for the stuff. She might not have had anything to do with the imperialism that necessarily plays into that. Mm -hmm. But then you start to understand that what we mean when we talk about no ethical consumption under capitalism is like nothing that anybody does under this system is divorced from the rest of the material reality. It's all connected. There ain't no there ain't no divorce relationship. It's a fucking puzzle. So when you talk about Riri, you could talk about personal morality, this, you know, she didn't personally like endorse anybody's exploitation. But as a billionaire, she would have had to sign off on not only uh structuring things in a way to where she can uh receive the overwhelming bulk of the profits from any kind of um business venture she does despite not being the one to do the labor over over her uh her, over her fancy line but the product but the materials that go into those fancy products or if you want to like not pick on her and just pick anybody whether it be jay-z's rock uh rock aware products or whether it be uh sean combs line whether it be anything like those materials quite literally physically come from places that are um qu quite a bit far away from where uh from where they're actually selling those products and these days it's a bit different sometimes and how they go about uh um acquiring those products you know uh, these days you can talk about like the u.s bourgeois or the british bourgeois or the french bourgeois like entering into like you know, relationships and so-called trade deals and shit like that with like the African bourgeois of the, of the countries that have the relevant resources and not just Africa, but any like any country in the global South bourgeois to be able to get it. And, you know, those people will typically like cut the like bourgeois of other countries like a good deal if they think it's something in them personally for it. And all of this kind of shit necessarily plays into the logic of like what produces a billionaire in the first place. So there's going to be somebody who listens to what I have to say and be like, oh, Jabir didn't seem to answer the question. What's that have to do with Rihanna? Like they're stretching. Listen, read neocolonialism. Read uh, how Europe underdeveloped Africa. Uh, read the world in Africa. You'll understand how these things connect. You know, it's not because because to feel like it's not about Rihanna, you would almost have to be bringing it down to a making it about an individual person's relationship to all this but it's not an individual's personal relationship to all this it's it's a great big superstructure right 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 and i think that's what 
and uh, you know, in those type of situations, whenever you have those conversations, uh, it's the, you know, people may be a fan of some of one of the, because you know, a lot of these billionaires in there are either entertainers or they famous for just being billionaires. And um, a lot of times, you know, especially here in America, you know, we have the tendency to um, uh, idolize that type of thing. You know what I'm saying? And um, and so it's not, we're not telling anybody that, you know, Rihanna's a horrible person or not to like our music or anything like that. It's just a, it's just a, under the understanding of how people become billionaires, um, especially if they're selling a product, right? Like a lot exactly. of times the things, like you're saying, the things that go into making these products are often um, made by people who are, who live in terrible conditions and work for cheap because they are living in those terrible conditions. Um, I even saw like, um, you know, we just had the Olympics um, and uh, there were, there were, uh, and one thing, one side of the Olympics that people don't um, uh, really understand, and this goes for the Olympics and World Cup in soccer as well, is that, and I look at this as, one of you know the side effects of capitalism um a lot of those stadiums that had to be built um they imported workers from oh, yeah. you know, impoverished countries and gave them gave them pennies and they and in horrible conditions and uh, a lot of them were the conditions were so horrible that you know, they died on the job. You know what I'm saying? And, oh yeah, or you can you can go look at that documentary about the fire festival from a few years ago. Oh yeah, I remember that with Ja Rule and right? Yeah, like I'm not even sure them people ever ended up getting paid a damn thing for uh for their labor. But you know these people was working um um doubles a lot of the time. They was working. You know, in some cases, they was working two eights. In other cases, they was working whole 14-hour shifts trying to get shit ready and not being paid for their labor at all. And, like, that's capitalism everywhere, you know, for marginalized people. You know, there wasn't nothing special about how uh, the fire Festival uh, ended up playing out in terms of exploiting African uh, and marginalized labor. All that ended up being was, like, the most blatant case of it being clear and obvious exploitation but it's an exploitative relation everywhere you look at it you know just because you find yourself because like what people are trying to say is like well you enter into like these relationships and it's not and it's not exploitative because you are not forced to work you choose right. to work you choose to work where you work that's the shit they'll say but if you got to put bread on the table and if you got to keep bills paid that's a material reality that you have to deal with and this idea that people just don't choose uh jobs sometimes just to be able to get that they don't like but so that they can get by like no no african would say that because every african knows that that's not you know true every african has had to work a job well most africans have had to work jobs where they didn't fucking want to work it but they had shit that they had to take care of mm -hmm. you know but you were coerced, right. not by somebody putting a gun in your head, but by the material reality that you 
found yourself trying to address. So when we talk about coercion, we talk about exploitation, it's not always explicit. A lot of the shit is implicit, but the lines are all there and you have to be able to connect these dots. And when you connect those dots, you start to say like, oh, okay, I can see how this is exploitation. You know, I make pennies on the dollar, though everything that this person is selling to become a billionaire was produced by like me and like nine or 10 other co-workers. Like all of that money should be in our fucking pocket if it's, if it's producing that much labor, you know, but or, or producing that much, but Pro, uh, because we that, don't, I, not to cut you off, but, um, but people that are pro, pro capitalism, they'll say, um, "Well, the that billionaire that you help make money for, he's the one that put up the money and took the risk." What are your thoughts on when people say that? Yeah, he's put up the money, he took a risk, and the people who are working for them are taking a bigger risk because if that uh, business goes belly up, well, mm. they're in the same situation that allowed them to start that business in the first place and I'm out of a job. So you're still a hundred thousand there or a bougie asshole with a rich parent or two rich parents or a whole rich ass family. And I'm out on the street, you know, looking for work. If your goofy ass business idea didn't work out. So when you want to talk about risk, that shit doesn't even make any sense from the material reality. Because from material reality, it's the workers that are taking a, a risk every time a business venture is uh is is taken. And that's and these people are gonna probably try to like inflate it and be like, well, like I tried to build like my small business like from scratch and like I have to like work and I have to do this. Ain't nobody saying your goofy ass ain't never worked. What we're talking about is when you get to a certain level of success. And when you get to a certain level of profit and when you get to a certain level of like things almost working on their own, like your labor is not producing anything anymore. And yet you are still able to like seize the benefit of labor that you are not doing. Like, why do you have the right to benefit off of what you did not do? Like that is what's the problem. So yeah, you got the right to a certain extent to like the initial, uh, profit that comes off of like you know having started something and having like put your own blood sweat and tears into it but like why should that be this violent cyclical process that we live in where like you know you work you grind for a little while and then you like get to make money forever like this idea that like you're worth more than me when i'm the one doing the labor for your fucking business like no we have a fucking problem and like that that can only be solved one way <laughs> right 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 yeah that's that's real and um uh is one last, you know, uh, question in regards to this. Uh, you, I had a conversation with the brother probably a couple months ago, and um, it was a, the we were having a similar conversation, except that his views were I mean, were total opposite of mine and yours as well. Um, and uh, he said that. Whenever I mentioned the exploitative nature of capitalism as a system, he said that's only uh, that's only a system called you know exploitative capitalism, or as if there's a difference. Only capitalism, right? <laughs> right. But I, I I don't see the difference. You know what I'm saying? I mean, capitalism is capitalism, right? <laughs> Man, capitalism got its own logic, man. Like, there isn't 
crony capitalism. There isn't exploitative capitalism. There's just capitalism. Right. What is the point of capitalism according to anybody who would you who you who you would ask that question in good faith? They would say, well, the point of capitalism is to turn profit. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you turn profit? You got to keep wages down, but you also got to keep labor uh, productive enough to where it's it's well being productive, that it's producing, that it's getting product out there for you to be able to sell and profit off of in the first place. So there's something of a balance that you have to find. But if you create with the monopoly form uh, a situation where there's nothing to work at, uh, but what, but the but the uh, but the business that you're offering, you can keep wages as low as you're legally able to. Sometimes under that legal limit, depending on what kind of loopholes you're able to exploit. I mean, look at what's happening with the people who work in the service industry, for example. And then when you take a look at it from that standpoint, and you start to say, "Oh, okay, I to get more, the most money out of this person only have to make sure that I'm the only fucking game in town. Then I can pay you what I want." And you can either work here or some other poor motherfucker do it, you know. So when you talk about it from that standpoint, and like nobody who's ever tried to turn a profit will tell you that that's not the way that it works. Because I, I look at it on a small scale example, a relatable example for probably most people. Uh, I remember being in school, um, probably middle school, so it's like sixth, seventh grade, and, you know, and I was the candy man. You know, I was the motherfucker who go buy the candy in bulk, then come back to the school. You know, I bought the candy for five dollars, but I'm selling it at a, a at a quarter, you know, per individual thing, you know, and making like a killing. But like other motherfuckers will try to come into the school and they try to be the candy man too. And what happened in those situations? Oh, I'm gonna just like go confront them and tell them like, yeah, I was already doing this, you need to get the fuck out of here, we gonna have your box. You know, I might steal their shit, right? You know? I might snitch on them and like and like to and like make sure that my shit was in that school that day so that they can't confiscate my shit, but they can confiscate theirs. Then when I bring my shit back, I'm the only game in town. And by the time they shut me down, I've already turned that profit. And that's just a couple of middle school niggas being assholes, you know, but that's the logic of capitalism. You know, that's just what they do. Now, this logic does not fail to apply on an industrial scale, you know, it's just that's not happening so blatantly in front of your eyes. Those deals are being cut, you know, um, well before you ever had that job interview in the first place, well before you ever worked that production line in the first place. But the same logic is still playing out. You are still uh, seeing a situation where the competition is being forced out, uh, where the game in town is the only game in town, and where nobody is able to work before a few corporations like that's I, I'm not, not to uh, cut your wisdom, but it just made me think. Like, and that's so. There's a there's a documentary about how um, Dollar General was going into these uh, small uh, small towns, right? Where you had all these, you know, mom and pop stores, where uh, you know, family owned businesses that had been businesses, uh, you know, for 10, 20 years. You know, they were a staple of the community, and then the Dollar General come. And they all got to shut down because the Dollar Generals, with them being such a big corporation, are able to sell their products at a much cheaper price, right? And then so you, that happens with 
Walmart, whenever they move into a rural town, like all of these big corporations. And eventually it's, it feels like, man, you know, if we keep going at this rate, there'll be 10 big corporations that we get all our shit from. And that's it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not only is that correct, big dog, when you take a look at certain industries, the media specifically, that level of monopoly that you was just describing already, it's already there. Yeah, yeah, it's already there. Uh, the climate change that we deal with now, uh, um, 100 corporations are, are, are responsible for 70% of the carbon emissions, you know, just 100 corporations. That's, you know, that's wild. You talk about uh, all the media and the um, company is a, uh, every news station is controlled by, I believe, the same, uh, the yeah. same five media companies or yeah. so. It might not even be yeah. five. It might be like three. Yeah. You know, I have to take a look at the data again. It's been a while since I read those articles. But when you take a look at um, chips, for example, and you see like, oh, this seems to be like a company that's not Frito-Lays. Mm -hmm. Then you look up and you're like, and you're looking into it and you're like, oh, fuck, they're like a subsidiary of like yeah. Frito-Lays. They're like a company that like Frito-Lays already bought off, you know, right. or bought out. And so it's just like, this logic is playing out everywhere, you know, and like you're putting money into the same few people's pockets, no matter like what name is on the damn product, you know, and these people are hoarding all the wealth. And like, there are people who are going to tell you, oh, you just have to like have like a wealth tax and you have to have like an upper limit on like what people can make and like then you'll have an ethical system. But like those ideas do nothing to stop the inherent exploitation of the products, of the materials, of, of and, they, and they do nothing to stop people from like being able to hide their money so that they can get away with like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not paying taxes at all. Yeah. It, it gets it get away. It, it does nothing to like stop them from like coercing global South countries and our particular uh, interest, African countries especially, with these like exploitative like interest loans and shit like that. Like this is what capitalism is. You know, it's exploitative, it's coercive, and it's not cronyism this is by design this is how it works it is not broken it is working exactly as intended right, right. that's deep bro that's deep and uh, i definitely appreciate that insight um i, I want to build you it's last time we talked um uh, well that a lot has happened and uh one thing is cuba and uh the uh protest that we saw um you know recently Pro, uh, I guess protesting uh, socialism slash communism in Cuba. Um, who was that protesting, and what do you think that was about? Because I saw a lot of the protesters and um, that were protesting were waving American flags, and there was just a lot of like some weird shit going on, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like, are these who are these Batista supporters or what? You know what I'm saying? Like. Like what? What were your thoughts whenever you saw the uh, the protest in Cuba? That the media that you just spoke about was owned by six companies, right? Uh, hundred percent of the media, or at least ninety percent of the media, owned by six companies. Um, they all, they all, you know, tried to run that and make that the uh, lead story for a couple of weeks. And it seems like they it was they tried to make something out of nothing because we don't hear shit about it no more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hell no, you don't hear shit about it. <laughs> and that's by design too. But under 
So what was happening in that situation? You had pro-government protesters who like had very specific conditions, and I'd have to go back and read the articles to figure out what it was they were even protesting about in the first place. Mm -hmm. But they had very specific uh, conditions that they were trying to advocate for for a change. But these were pro-government people. What happened after that is State Department forces understanding that you can necessarily try to spin this because they had just finished doing the same thing with those Hong Kong protests saw an opportunity. Uh, to like spin it as like the Communist Party of Cuba is like losing support. So like they ran their like media stories, they ran their apparatuses, they were seeing people there. And, like every time you see an American flag propping up in a uh, in a uh, country that's not America's protest, you can be assured that the state has like put agents on the ground and like told them like this is what you do. You need to like make sure you get caught on camera because it's not just the fact that they have American flags and they're in these like foreign countries protests. It's like, how do they manage to get caught on camera every single fucking time? Like, how do we always end up knowing about that? You know, it's by design. It's by, it's deliberate. They control who is shooting the shots. They control uh, who's showing up to these protests. And in some cases, they control what the protest is even about in the first place. You got, and this is not just happening in Cuba. I remember with Venezuela, uh, they went as far as boycotting their own elections, talking about the reactionaries of that country, uh, and then saying that they, and then doing Western propaganda, talking about that they were barred from participating in the elections that they were boycotting and choosing not to uh, participate in when wow. Venezuela was re was ready to uh, uh, do a, con a constitutional convention to like rewrite its constitution with the um, whole apparatus of Venezuelan people uh, able to participate and with the government having invited all Venezuelan citizens to participate in that convention in this very uh, democratic process, the reactionaries of that country boycotted, did not participate in the convention and then said that they were being barred from doing so. So this is how that shit works. When you got the situation uh, in China where at the Hong Kong protest, all these all the, all the, all the Chinese government tried to do was like negotiate an ex uh, an um, expeditement agreement. And somebody um, killed somebody, right? He killed exactly because yeah. somebody killed, one person murdered another person, and there wasn't a, a there wasn't an exped, there wasn't an expedition. I forgot what the word is, but the, basically they weren't able to extradite. You. There wasn't a uh, they weren't allowed to extradite them legally. So like they were trying to negotiate a deal on that, and the bourgeois seize an opportunity on that and like oh my god look at china trying to like violate sovereignty like oh my god like we got to like advocate for like freedom and democracy and like oh my god this anti-democratic country just for like trying to like hold a murderer accountable in a like democratic way in a way that is like not trampling over somebody's autonomy so like this is what these countries do and that's just the three that pop into my head cuba and venezuela and uh and and, and china but this keeps happening throughout the history of the U.S. And, 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 and Britain and France. And yet we keep, I don't know why it is that like this keeps happening, but like yet we keep saying to ourselves like, well, America generally lies, just not about those countries. You know, like mm -hmm. what? Come on now. <laughs> At some point right. you got to call the state a spade. Right, right. Real talk. And I've seen... Um... 
even in the Hong Kong protest, I saw people waving American flags there as well. And there's, uh, I read a couple articles and saw a couple videos about how America uses Hong Kong because for its proximity to China, right? Um, as they so they can, you know, do two, a few things. One is keep their eye on what's going on out there and seize an opportunity to. Uh, sees an opportunity to disrupt what they got going on in the name of American democracy. You know what I'm saying? And um, it looks like that's, that's, that's exactly what they were doing while they were in Hong Kong. Because they never, the news never <laughs> talked about why China wanted the dude. They wanted the dude because he was wanted for murder. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't, they, they, but they never mentioned that. They, they never mentioned that. It was like a, um, and we know you not, if you, United States, man, come on, man. We know how they treat prisoners and how they, and that how they treat people um, who are wanted for crimes. And even if you're not wanted for a crime, they'll pin one on you in a heartbeat or, or, you know what I'm saying? Especially look at how many political prisoners that we have that are in prison since the seventies or eighties. Oh yeah. And not only that big dog. The the U.S. is not even legally able to be held accountable if it decides to go into somebody else's country to get somebody that it wants. You know, if it decides it has a problem for them and wants them to be tried, uh, it, it it they can't be tried by the Hague. You know, they they made specific sure of that. So they go violated like when we when when America got Bin Laden. That was a blatant violation of Pakistan, of Pakistani sovereignty. They just like that's not even where we didn't not only not go to war with them, but like that's not even where we were alleging like the terrorists came right. from. And we ended up realizing that the terrorist comes from an American <laughs> right. an American ally. Right. Like that's the funny part about that. So it's just like not everything that comes out of this country's mouth is pure projection at this point. You right. know, that's how, that's how it is. Yeah, and you know that's that's real. Like that also made me think of Gaddafi as well. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting now how you know Barack Obama says uh, you know that's his biggest regret, right? And we're talking about people losing their lives, right? Like it's that should be just it's it's that's kind of distasteful in my opinion to even use those kind of words. <laughs> At this point, you did it. You should stand on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. like it's hard to say. Uh, you know, I regret uh, killing thousands of people in the name of you know taking their leader out. And then we see what happens when he's gone. I'm not saying Gaddafi was a the perfect person, perfect leader. Don't have to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because uh, first off, there's not one, and second, um, you know, countries should have the uh, sovereignty and autonomy to um, elect who they want, run their nation the way they see fit. Self-determination. Yeah, exactly. And um, we see what happens whenever they took them out, man. You know, it, shit got real, real bad. You know what I'm saying? And they're well, not- yeah, But I'll tell you what though, <laughs> ain't nobody else gonna be foolish enough to give up their nukes. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. And like, and that's a, you speaking of nukes, uh, it, I, lately, or recently, we saw in the news that African Union gave Israel uh, like observer status or something. We're like, what the fuck is that about? Like, I don't, I don't understand it. 
that's we're gonna have to build about that at a later date. I need okay. I need to increase my understanding on that one because yeah. yeah, I definitely I definitely read the article uh but that you're referencing. Um mm-hmm. I believe I don't think it might not have been the exact one, but the Guardian was talking about that shit too. But uh yeah. uh I mean Israel is a settler colonial state, so I don't understand like why you would want to give a settler colonial state that's like because there's there's Africans in Palestine and like we're they're they're participating in the genocide against those Africans right now. Like why would you want to give them observer status? Like that's very odd to me. But you know the bourgeois have different interests than us radicals do. So we'll I'll, next time we next time we build, I'll have read more about that and we can definitely we can definitely expand on it. Sure thing, sure thing. And just a side note on that, it, it, you know, to me, there's definitely some type of uh, there's, money is involved. You know what I'm saying? Um, people may yeah. want favors or want to be in the favor of, you know, Israel. And that's possible, possibly one of the reasons. Um, and so uh, Afghanistan, this, um, we see right now there uh, America has. I guess they have backed out of Afghanistan after 20 something years. Um, And, you know, we see images of, you know, people in Afghanistan who are, uh, you know, were running towards or hanging on uh, airplane wings of, you know, United States government planes and uh, military planes. And, you know, um, we hear Biden talking and, you know, it just seems, it, it seems strange that, all like after 20 years, or we say we suddenly say, I'm not, I I got to stop saying we because I don't have shit to do with that. But they suddenly, <laughs> right? They suddenly say, um, you know, uh, we we're done, we're done uh, occupying Afghanistan. We're going to let the uh, Taliban have their country and going about their business. Like it just it just seems weird, bro. Like like what do, what do you think's going on? Like what are your thoughts on what's going on in Afghanistan? interestingly we have not pulled out of iraq is the is the is the is the thing that i would like to call attention to before i kind of delve dive into my thoughts um afghanistan was always an illegal occupation in the first place you know um, the Taliban got its problems, but they're not who attacked us on 9-11. Um, now, and even the idea that the country was like harboring Al-Qaeda again, like the, 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 the terrorists from 9-11 were mostly Saudi nationals. They came from like a country that calls itself a, a, a U.S. ally, one of its biggest ally in the region. Even. So we've known for a very long time that the that the Cassius belly was the 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 reason for war was bullshit, you know. Now we have a situation though where America was just straight up participation participating in, in nation building in Afghanistan. Hmm. U.S. puppet state in that country, you know, and the people knew it. They were in on it. The people understood that that's what was happening. They were being occupied. The country is extremely undemocratic as a result of this uh, occupation. The um, the propped up government was a sham and 
it had no support. And meanwhile, in the rural centers, the Taliban is like talking to people about the invaders, the imperialistic occupy occupiers in terms and referring to the U.S. It's feeding people, it's housing people, it's like doing other things to like materially take care of the people living in the rural centers. And at the same time, giving them a way out of this imperialistic conquest that is being uh, forced upon them by like these like global north motherfuckers, these 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 UK uh, people and these US people and these French motherfuckers and all these other motherfuckers from the uh, from the global north that was occupying their country. So that context in mind, you can then start to see how it makes very much sense in real sense how people just weren't willing to like fight against the Taliban. Again, when when they came to when they came to, to resettle uh, the main cities, uh, and and they're they're not they're popular, the imperialists are not, and the force that would have to fight against them will be doing so in the name of a puppet government. Hell no, they're not gonna want to fight on behalf of that bullshit. It's, 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 they ready for that shit to be over? They'd rather take a chance that the, that the Taliban has learned from its contradictions. It has become a, a somewhat more progressive force that can like govern better and with more stability and peace than, excuse me, than what will happen um, with any kind of US interference. And so, excuse me, so that's what they were willing to do. And now, what have we started seeing? Oh, the Taliban's like already negotiate, negotiating with, um, with, with um, Western uh, finance uh, folks. They're already like trying to like do uh, deals with like other countries, bourgeois, both in the global north and across the global south. Uh, you start to see that like nothing will fundamentally change in terms of like the economic uh, operations like of the country, you know, and from a certain still point of view, America has accomplished its goals because mm -hmm. it has got itself into a situation where it can by proxy uh keep a foothold into like the oil and into poppy fields and into all the other resources that it means to extract from that country. So the Taliban is obviously not any kind of anti-imperialist force, of course not. Or at the very least, it's not in favor of US, but at the very least it's not in favor of the US imperial project. Right. And it's certainly and it's certainly not uh for being occupied by anybody who isn't like um, with their ideology. And right. along that context, yeah, it did get supported by the people and it makes total sense. And like, if you grew up in the region and have, you know, I went, I went from 10 to 30, you know, over the time that we were in Afghanistan, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people in that country, if you imagine if you were 10 in 2001, living in that country, you've only ever known occupation. You've only ever known war. You didn't went through probably really, not even probably, like some of the like worst years you could have went through if you were living in that country in certain contexts, you know, at the hands of the U.S., you know, families getting blown up, families getting shot at, you know, I can, you know, invaders left and right all over your fucking country. So the force that comes to feed the people and show you how to fight them off, yeah. You're going to support them, and it makes total sense to do that. So uh, what we then understand 
is necessary going forward. The U.S. is out. The puppet government is out. There's forces that are still in power to like try to get U.S. allies out of the country, so to speak. But other than that, the occupation is done. The, the Taliban is going to have to govern in a way that adjusts itself to today's material realities. And like the Afghan people are living with the memory of like what Taliban rule was like. And the Taliban knows that now. So they're going to have to be better than what they had been in the 90s. And they're already making concessions, talking about being better to women, being better to, uh, and just governing according to like Sharia law and to what's fair and being anti-imperialist. They're saying some shit that an Afghan is going to make a whole hell of a lot of sense. And the Afghan people are going to have to decide what it is they want to do about the Taliban. You know, that is not for us to decide that is not for the U.S. to decide that is not for anybody to decide and if the Afghan people come rise up in solidarity with other working people of other places and say like we'd like your help to like beat back the invaders then they can have a conversation at that point but the Afghan working class the people the working people the people who live in that country the average folks the folks that are like me and you are going to have to decide what it is they want to do to struggle against uh, the government or if they want to support it then we have to support their right to be able to do that as well. And that is what it means to be self-determined. It doesn't mean you like the regime in power. It means you understand that that's for the people of that region to deal with, the locality. Yeah. And a lot of people struggle with this because they just think, man, well, we got the military power to do what the fuck we want. So why why shouldn't we like, you know, stop them if we don't like, them? well, you're out of to you're totally out of solidarity with the people of the region, and actually to and, 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 and stepping over their so their sovereignty and self determination. If you do that, and that's the correct line for any so called anti imperialist to take. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Wow, right, right, and um, so like moving forward, um, do you think the U.S. forces are out of Afghanistan for good or? Is could this be a situation to where they're like, hey, I told you you couldn't do it on your own. We're coming back. You know what I'm saying? Like, because, you know, I, I just never put anything past. And also, one thing I wanted to add on and ask you, um, the 20-year occupation or of Afghanistan, um, were you know, when we talk about the war or we're talking about war with the Taliban, right, as far as um, United States armed forces, some of that war spilled over to civilians dying, correct? I mean, it's almost, it's always almost civilians. Right. I mean, it's almost, it's almost always civilians, like 90% of the casualties in these, in these imperialistic conquests end up being civilians. You know, um, and that everybody wants to talk about like the cost of war from like a financial standpoint, but like the human cost matters way more, right? Than that, right? And 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 there's an extremely real human cost to going into somebody's country illegally for 20 years, hundreds of thousands, not just hundreds, but hundreds of thousands. Of people, you know, uh, being disaffected, dying, um, displaced, having to like migrate out of the country, you know, it 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 is brutal. So when you ask the question of is it over permanently, well, Afghanistan is historically hell to occupy in the first place. Mm. You know, yeah. uh, they're not, and now you have 
a Taliban with support, and if they govern to the material interest of their people and garner more support, train more people up, and they want to go back into that country, next time they're going to find themselves with a Taliban that has the support of the people, that has a multiplied fighting force by that time, and they're going to find themselves getting embarrassed on an international scale if they ever try to go back into that country. So they Afghanistan specifically, they might be done with in terms of occupation, but they will definitely be wrapping up the imperialism. They've uh, already looked into freezing Taliban assets so that they can't access their like financial reserves and shit like that. Mm -hmm. So there's still very much imperialist conquest that Afghanistan is going to have to deal with. But now we're looking at economic imperialism in terms yeah. of... That's what I'm going to I feel like that's yeah. an act of war as well. Like the trade embargo on Cuba. I feel like that's that's an act of war. You know what I'm saying? It's just um on a different on a different front. Um you you spoke on something that I wanted to ask you about. Like and you know, um 9-11 and when all of that happened, and you said most of the people that were involved were Saudi nationals, but mm -hmm. Saudi so said Saudi is also an ally of the United States, obviously, because probably all interests, right? And um, why, like, how, how are they allowed to just, uh, like, when that happens, say, you know, yeah, Saudi, Saudi, these Saudi Arabian nationals were responsible for for 9-11, but we're not going to go, uh, we're not worried about Saudi Arabia. We're going to go somewhere else and look for somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Like, like how are they even, that's I, I just wild whenever you think about it, that they were like, that the people didn't, you know, say, hey, man, this doesn't make any sense or no, and the rest of the world and they may and they may have and we, and i you know we just weren't privy to it but like what what are your thoughts on on that because that's that's just wild man. well like that's just blatant bourgeois imperialism you know i mean you look at trump's travel ban mm -hmm. every it seemed like every mother every every country with Muslims in it, but the people actually responsible for 9-11 got hit by that travel ban. My, you know, my partner can't even enter the U.S. right now um, as a Libyan living in Germany because they ain't able to, uh, uh, they able to get the visa, but the visa that they have to get is more expensive than the region they would have to get if they weren't African. And then if they were to uh, come into this country in the first place, they would be risking getting stopped and legally being randomly allowed to be harassed uh, with questions about their nationality and what kind of activities they're up to and all kinds of shit, you know, and this is how they're able to treat folks, but it, it, they, got, they hit countries like Libya, they hit people from Syria, they hit people from all over the, like, marginalized world, but Saudi Arabia is an ally, so, you know, <laughs> they, can, they, they can do what they want, and it's not like the U.S. don't go into other people's countries and, like, you know, that it's supposed to be friendly with and, like, does what it wants. Like I said, they went into Pakistan and got Afghan and, and, and got uh, Bin Laden without any consent from the uh, Pakistani government, you know? And so this, uh, so like, as far as Saudi Arabia uh, is concerned, they probably never even felt pressure uh, mm -hmm. or any kind of responsibility for that because all they have to do is deny any kind of culpability and like 
ever raising those folks. Like, what are they going to say publicly? Like, oh, they don't got nothing to do with like the principles and the and the and the beliefs of like you know Saudi Arabia, and we condemn this attack, this and blah blah blah. You know, that's just that's just bourgeois. You know, doing bourgeois shit. You know, uh, it, it ain't no material basis that you could justify not sanctioning um, Saudi Arabia and like not hitting them with the same energy that you would hit the rest of the Muslim world. But from the, when you start to play the logic of capitalism, you can start to see like, oh, it makes a whole lot of sense why they would like let them off the hook while not, while at the same time trying to pretend to appear to be cracking down on stuff like 9-11. So it's, it's wild. But like the real question has then become, well, given that it didn't uh, hold Saudi Arabia accountable, and given that it's ramped up all these propaganda against all these marginalized groups, what exactly have they done in the name of keeping Americans safer? Like that hasn't happened at all. Right. You know, Americans aren't safer. You more likely, you know, than ever to like, you know, uh, have radicalized somebody into like, you know, a fundamentalist ideology that would have them doing something like that. And I got to tell you, if I heard about it, I would feel nothing but sympathy for them, you know, uh, if they if they was if, if somebody was to do something in this country again, because how can you not, you know, stuff like 9-11 don't pop up out of nowhere. It ain't without a material uh, a material basis. They'd already been occupying and looting and destroying that region for years when right. 9-11 happened. That's what it was a response to American occupation. You know, other uh, global mode occupation because they weren't going to. It's not like they stopped with the U.S. There were uh, there were terrorist attacks in London. There were terrorist attacks in France. All these places, you know. Uh, and like nothing's fundamentally changed, comrade, in twenty years. Mm. Mm. Wow, and uh, that's deep, bro. That's deep, and uh, so I kind of just want to end it with this, right? Um, and ask you you know, going back to the point where 90% uh, of these media uh, channels are, 90% um, of these media channels are owned by the, you know, six corporations, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, how, how do people get the real news about what's going on in this world? Or is it just a thing to where they have to kind of read the article and kind of get themselves to be able to spot the bullshit within the article and you know extract the truth from it and 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 go about it that way is that is that what people got to do these days that's a good question uh so from a dialectical standpoint it's, it's actually a pretty simple process to be able to get close to the truth. First and foremost, you've got to start, because we live in a technology age. We live in information era. Like, if you want to be able to translate a web page, you can translate a web page quite easily. So first and foremost, you've got to start going with the sources that are originating out of these countries, and you have to translate them, and you have to read them to the best of your ability according to where they originally came from. Because, you know, these are these countries that, you know, they got they, they're reporting on the same shit from their perspective that we're reporting on from our, or from America's perspective, because like you said, they same our damn country. Right. Now, 
So you do that first. But the other thing you do is yeah, you do engage the Guardians and the Voxes and all these other different like articles that are coming from like the West. But you do a material analysis where you say like, what does history indicate is true? What are these articles saying? And then what seems to be the material reality based on the different interests that involve? So who has what who has what interest? What's happened historically? What is being said now from within the country and from outside the country? And based on these different factors, both competing and coming together, uh, what seems to be the case? And that's how you start to hear that truth. Indeed, indeed. Well, Brother Jabir, I appreciate you for coming back, man. You dropped a lot of jewels, a lot of information. Um, and, you know, it's it's good to, to hear um, these perspectives when it comes to what's really happening across the world. Because I think a lot of people, um, you know, they'll watch the news and they'll see things on the news and they'll wonder, hey, like, what's, what's really good? And I think you shed light on a lot of different things, man. And I, I definitely appreciate you for coming back, bro. Should I appreciate you, big dog? <laughs> <laughs> already, 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 man. Well, until the next time, man, you have a good one, G. You too. Take care, big dog. All right, peace. Man.